uh, towards the end, I kind of took a different path. So throughout my career, um, I did a lot of kind of dabbling in the, a lot of the physical penetration side. And I saw a lot of failures and successes in government, military, and law enforcement operations for their physical security. Um, and I also got to deal with uh, kind of human hacking, especially in law enforcement. I did a lot of human hacking with getting people to do things for you. We fit the fittest minds with the chip inside I can link and digitize that Which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface We're gonna stick it in your face Till it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds Where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Danger Sings, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousSings.com. If your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at DangerousMinds.io and or email us at info at DangerousMinds.io. And we'll be glad to talk to you about it. So this week, on Dangerous Minds Podcast, we have Pat Watson, founder of Uncensored Tactical. We'd like to thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Now, first, could you uh, do, do us a favor by introducing yourself and telling us uh, a little bit of your own opinion of what hacking, cracking, and physical pen testing means to you and your own path in security, as it were? Uh, absolutely. And if you want to want to jump in while I'm rambling here, feel free because I could go for uh, for hours on that question. <laughs> so uh, I can tell you where this bug kind of caught me. Um, I was about seven or eight ish years old. And my old man was a 30 year law enforcement officer. And he came home one day and he, he had taken some sort of officer awareness survival class. So he's telling me the story and I'm, I'm just a young kid. And he says, well, they, uh, they told us we had to hide a handcuff key somewhere on us. And then they shoved us into a jail cell and you know, there were no lights and we had to figure out how to access our key and how to get out of the handcuffs and break out of the cell. And my really young mind was a little bit confused. I'm like, that's yeah, but that's what bad guys do. And he quickly followed up and he said, well, if you understand the flaws in the system and if you understand how to hide a handcuff key, you understand how to break out of your handcuffs, then you can, then if you're preventing people from doing that, at least you understand that perspective and now you know what to look for. So you can be a lot safer on the street. And that one little nugget of wisdom stuck with me forever. Um, and then throughout my early childhood, I often saw um, my old man had just some real, real basic entry tools. And we'd help a stranded motorist if I was in the car with him and someone was broken down. He'd use the old Slim Jim to wedge it between the window and the car door. And uh, I did see the credit card and the door jam trick a few times. So just some things that I guess like career law enforcement officers pick up. I got to see some of those little entry tools. And I think it was so fascinating to me because I thought, well, you lock your door and you use this key and the key comes out and boom, secure. Like what, what else can you do? It's, it's secure. And seeing those little hacks, I thought, man, that's cool. And I'm always going to remember that. That's just so startling that my conception of security was just just broken like that. And I spent 11 years in back and forth between federal law enforcement and military operations and local law enforcement operations. And I'm all done with that now. And I'm really happy that I'm no longer doing that. Uh, I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun. But uh, towards the end, I kind of took a different path. So throughout my career, um, I did a lot of kind of dabbling in the a lot of the physical penetration side and I saw a lot of failures and successes in government military and law enforcement operations for their physical security um and I also got to deal with uh kind of human hacking especially in law enforcement I did a lot of human hacking with getting people to do things for you um so that that was kind of where I sharpened my craft over the last 11 years but like I said the bug caught me when I was about 7 and uh to me my goal is to take this information and give it both to law enforcement and military as well as non-law enforcement military, just the general public, to help them secure themselves in case it's an emergency or in case you want to better be better prepared with your own home security if you want to upgrade that for not a very expensive price tag. And that's that's kind of my mission, and that's where I came from. 
So the way you describe that there is uh, very similar to a way that a hacker might describe them, themselves getting into InfoSec. Um, were you ever tempted to sort of take the black hat way? If you see all the ways that these things work and how you can hide can uh, handcuffs and break into vehicles, etc. You mean, did I ever want to uh, uh, <laughs> have a heist and... Yeah, I mean, maybe not that extreme. <laughs> if you see what's possible, surely there's, there's some part of, of, you know, the human brain that says, look, look how easy it is to do. Oh, every day, yeah. I think, man, that would be cool. And what a, these people are so wildly unprepared. And um, I, I do, uh, I live by the, the quote that tool, T-O-O-O-L dot com or dot U-S or whatever their ending is. Um, a rough quote from them, which is, I only pick those locks. Uh, that I either own or have been given explicit permission by the rightful owner to pick. And I do that with all of my entries, entry and social engineering tools and tactics. I try and stay real far away from that gray line. Um, my, the happiest thing that makes me right now is, is just not working for the government anymore and working for myself. So I'm kind of, I've separated from that. And that, that's kind of my avenue where I'm at right now. So I'm, I'm curious, why, why are you happy to no longer working for the man, if uh, you don't mind me sure, calling yeah. the government that? Um, well, I don't know if the whole show is going to turn into this or not, but I had some, some moral issues with working for the government. Um, kind of halfway through my military career, I started, started asking some big questions, and I, they were simple but they were big and impactful and I didn't really get some great answers. Um, excuse me. One of the earliest ones I can remember is, Hey, where do we uh, get the authority to do this? And I remember that was really confusing for people and they didn't understand why I was asking and they didn't really know what I was asking. And I never really got an answer. And the answers I got, I quickly had secondary answers that made those first answers uh, kind of a moot point. So you, you mean literal questions as opposed to the sort of metaphoric questions? Are these actual questions you wanted to ask or? Yeah, no, I, I had actual, it was both. One, one was kind of philosophical in my head and the other one was I asked actual questions to my actual supervisors like, hey, uh, there's this thing called the constitution. It's supposed to protect individual rights. Uh, yeah, but we're allowed to search anything, anywhere, at any time for any reason. And I feel like that's kind of a violation. Can you explain that? And they were like, well, you're dumb. I'm like, oh, that, that doesn't help. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's calm down. Can you give me a real reason? And a, can you tell me where we get our authority to do something that seems, if you read English, it seems really counter to the Constitution. And one of the answers was, well, they wrote down a, uh, an act that says we can do it. And I said, great. I don't understand if it's that important, why don't they amend the constitution instead of just writing an act? Like I can write something on a post-it note and slap it anywhere I want. That doesn't mean I get to violate the rules. So that was where it started. And I could tell you it was about halfway through my career. And uh, most of my career was working for the U S coast guard. And I dealt a lot with uh, international counter narcotics operations and as well as counter piracy. When that movie Captain Phillips came out, do you remember that movie? Yeah, I'm the captain now. <laughs> so I didn't watch the movie probably because I, I, I knew I would have been pissed off, but I was out there when that happened and my team geared up to go respond to that. And at the time we had, we had already had about 20 Somali pirates in custody on the ship that we were operating from. Um, so a lot of that is not remember, um, on TV. I remember uh, reading a review about the film where a lot of people that actually were involved in the events got very angry with saying that, the portrayal of the captain was not exactly what happened. It was yeah. like dramatized and actually he wasn't the hero that he was made out to be in the film. I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't deal with that scene. Just to be clear, I, I didn't respond to that. I geared up to respond to that and we called Washington DC. We were en route with our guns and our gear and we had already captured pirates and we were good at our job. And what I was told was, well, there's an invisible red line between where you are and where that boat is. and you work for one supervisor and that's in another supervisor's jurisdiction. So we're just going to call in some seals from the other side of the globe to handle it because of, you know, paperwork reasons. That was what I was told. So we stood down and we're like, okay, well, nothing we can do. I guess they'll just suffer for another week as captives on that boat. Um, and that's, that's my, that's what I remember happening out there. 
would you would you almost feel um some way responsible or is it quite easy to sort of you know um you know that there was a psychological test on authority it's quite easy to pass the blame onto authority which which sort of like being where you are how easy is it to go one way or the other um i don't feel responsible for what happened out there and that's i'm really happy to talk to this philosophical stuff um I, i absolutely don't feel responsible for them waiting longer out there um, but I also understand that uh, if I can give you a different kind of metaphor here. So I tell people all the time when I'm trying to talk about individual liberty and self-responsibility and, you know, um, being responsible for your own actions. I tell people, well, I don't know the number, um, but, but I think if you compare the two with how many people Hitler killed and how many people that the people work for Hitler killed, I bet you they're two very largely different numbers. Um, so I, I like to say that saying it's someone else's fault that you have to impose a law or you have to take action, I don't think that denies you of responsibility. I don't think you can pass it off to someone else. And that was another thing I didn't like in law enforcement. Um, it's not as bad as what I saw on, on TV. If we're still kind of staying, uh, <clears throat> if we're still kind of being philosophical here, law enforcement is not as corrupt as I saw on TV as a kid. Um, we have a lot of officer discretion to not make bad arrests and we don't have to put kids in jail for, you know, smoking marijuana. We don't have to write traffic tickets at all. If we don't want to, I actually worked for a really good agency. Um, but I still knew in the long run, I wouldn't have been happy staying there for a long time. Um, so I take personal responsibility for my actions and that's one of the reasons I'm happy that I don't work for the government anymore because there is a lot of, there still exists scenarios where the government says, uh, we're telling you to do it. doesn't matter if you like it or not. You need to do it. So now I don't have to deal with that anymore. So I'm um, not talking about the past because it seems like uh, I've heard the story from friends that are vets in the past, both mm-hmm. of uh, first responders, law enforcement, and uh, military that, one, they hate uh, over – extreme micromanaging red tape mm-hmm. and you know patriot act for basically throwing out the bill of rights but mm-hmm. when it comes down to it it just uh makes me want to then turn this turn this on its head get away from you know why <laughs> you got away from it yeah instead what do you most love about what you're doing now uh well my my website has two missions one is that I wanted to be what other sources can't be or that aren't um, like sources like the police Academy or agency training systems or uh, like websites like police one.com. They're very sterile. It's a very professional environment. It has to, you can't offend people. You can't use bad words. You have to, you know, if you think a product is terrible, you still have to say the nice things only about it. So I don't like that. So one mission is I want to talk tools, tactics, techniques, leadership, um, guns, gear, all that stuff. I want to speak about that in an uncensored environment where I can just be myself. And the good news about that is if I like a product or service, I can say so. And if I don't, I can say so. And I'm not beholden to anyone to tell me how I have to review a product or how I have to review a service or what I can and can't talk about. So that makes me really happy. The second mission is um, I want to give as much full disclosure as possible to the general public about military and law enforcement issues that happen behind the scenes that people are often unaware of and whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so like some simple stuff, like uh, I saw six cop cars on the side of the road and they pulled over a minivan. Well, one of my missions is I want to say whether good, bad, or indifferent, let me explain to you why that might be, you know, way out of hand or why that might be really common and you just don't understand what's happening behind the scenes. So those are the two things that I do now is I talk about both of those things. Um, I talk tactics, tools, I give reviews, I interview people. Um, I go to other professional training companies and I receive training and then I review it. That makes me really happy. Um, And I also teach my own course, which is primarily for physical um, entries. And it's it's kind of a two-part course and it's titled Entries and Escapes. And I travel and I teach. um, And I've been doing that for about a year now. And my next course is going to be actually at my home here in Florida. So I'm really excited about that. And 
It is lock picking and some kind of basic four digit code breaking and escaping from handcuffs, flex cuffs, zip ties, um, a little bit of social engineering and human hacking with people. And that just tickles me pink, man. I could not be happier to teach people about the flaws in security and how they can defend themselves and prepare themselves better. So um, with, with your course that you travel around teaching, do you ever plug into the InfoSec community and go to like conferences somewhere like B-Sides or DEF CON, which is coming up soon, and really immerse yourself in it and you know, teach in that, in that realm? Or do you mostly just do the workshops that you travel around in? I've been, I've been just teaching my own courses. Um, I have not tapped into the InfoSec or the hacker community yet, but I think that would be a really good fit for me. Um, uh, I'm in charge of, with uh, three other people that I manage it with, I'm in charge of a Discord server called Insurgency Knitting Circle. Oh, excuse me, I'm drinking beer here, <laughs> perfect. Um, uh, and our Discord channel has a bunch of people from that, from that hacker and InfoSec area, and they keep telling me, hey, you know, we got this big event coming up, and so, I am looking to sign up for my first one if I can find one locally and I'm really happy to jump into that. What part of Florida are, are we talking? Cause there's, there's like hack Miami, uh, which is, uh, in the springtime usually mm -hmm. and a very big conference there in, in Florida. Uh, if one of you guys are going to be there, I can make the effort. That's probably about five hours from me, but I'm on the Gulf coast of Florida, kind of by Tampa. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Orlando is only about an hour and a half from me, so I can I can definitely hit Orlando pretty easy. It sounds like an easier commute than, uh, say, being invited to come teach and participate at, like, B-Side San Antonio in, in Texas. I actually will be in Texas tomorrow for a week. Um, I'm out there quite a bit, so that's an option for me. All right, then definitely put down, I believe, uh, June, it's either 8th or 9th, I for the love of me, Ooh. I just came from the meeting. I should have, I should be able to remember this. Let me scroll really fast. I'll be there Monday through Friday this week, so I don't know if I'll stay that long. But if there's something important <laughs> enough out there, we can we can talk about some plans. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about next year. Oh, next well, year. Yeah, next year, June 8th, is a, a date you might want to put down. Writing it down into now. your calendar. But you know. As far as other other things coming up, there's like Houston SecCon that I believe uh, is in the spring. I'm not sure, but it, it's this is a, a community that always um, gives back, and uh, I you know every time I give, I always learn quite a mm -hmm. bit myself. Um, so I invite you to, you know, especially like your your uh, members on your Discord server, join in. Um, You've never been to a DEF CON? I would love to. I watch them on YouTube, all the whatever little parts and pieces I can get. Yeah. Hack, uh, Hacker Summer Camp is always fun. You got B-Size Las Vegas, Black Hat USA, and DEF CON all the same week. So it turns into a really long week of everything's under the sun and fun and turning off your Wi-Fi and Bluetooth while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm actually... I primarily do physical security. Um, I kind of dip into digital. I don't know if that's the right word. You guys are going to beat me up for that. I deal with uh, some code issues for things like four-digit codes for gate gates and garage doors and things like that. Uh, but I just signed up for my first coding course uh, from Vin Armani. It's called Code From Go. Me and my buddies that run the Discord channel are all signed up for that. So I'm starting something I should have started a decade ago and learning a lot more about computer language. Um, talking about um, the various different things that happen, for example, like DEF CON. Mm -hmm. um, for those of you that don't know, DEF CON is split between different villages. And looking over your um, your rough outline of the courses you do, which look incredible, by the way. Awesome, um, thank you. You have a number of different things that fit within different villages, like the lockpick village mm -hmm. uh, and, and various things like that. But um, you said before you, you do things like social engineering and you also have obviously the physical side on here, things like escaping from um, flexi cuffs, handcuffs, mm -hmm. duct tape, etc. Um, if you would put it down to a, a biggest weakness, I know it's quite hard to compare the two, but would you say humans are still the weakest link? Or would you yeah, say would, physical devices? 
Uh, some physical devices. Let's just talk about the handcuffs for a second. They're over a hundred years old. That design and the key is uni- for the most part universal, and the cuffs for the most part are uni- universal. And neither the handcuff or the key are. Um, they're not regulated items. So you could be a violent career felon and get out of prison and then go online and order handcuffs and saw them in half and look at how they work and how to exploit it. And you can buy a hundred handcuff keys on Amazon for a couple dollars and you can copy them and, and modify them and store them and hide them. So there's nothing that prohibits anyone from knowing how that works and how to exploit it. So that's one of the most, um, it's the one of the tools that police officers use the most besides their pen and paper. Um, and it is just wildly susceptible to being hacked and it's not very secure at all. And there's a number of different methods you can use to either break the item itself or to break out of it. Um, but the other problem is I would say absolutely it's people. Um, I always tell people that when you're talking about physical security, whether it's locks or handcuffs, um, the way we design these systems and the way you design your front door and the way you design your car keys, um, it's always a balance between your effectiveness and your ease of efficiency of use. Um, let me, uh, one of the best examples of showing you that phrase in action would be uh, a four digit code outside, like for a walking gate into a military or a government or a big business. So you have your little gate, you walk up and there's just number zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine star pound. So if you want your facility to be secure, you would probably want something more um, specialized and more unique with an identifier for each person. But because so many people will access that walking gate, you you can't make it too difficult to get in or else you're going to have a line of people a mile long that are waiting to get in to work. So they'll never make it in on time. So what you do is you say, well, here's the code. Okay, great. Well, now here's the problem. Everyone has the same code. So people, because they want to move quickly through that gate, you say, well, here's the code. It's not a big deal. It's just four digits. It's not super secure, but you know, don't tell anybody. Okay, well, you could have 100 plus people that have that code. And then you could email it to a bunch of people and then they can email it to themselves and they can, you know, they could spread that as far and wide as they wish with really no, no limits. And even if you give each person an individual code, you haven't really made the lock more secure. What you've done is made it less secure by saying, okay, if I'm going to do what I call the plus one method or just a brute force hack, like what a seven-year-old would do, like zero, 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 one. Oh, that didn't work. Zero, 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 two. Now it's faster for you to break in by guessing a code because there are more possible correct answers. So humans are definitely the problem and it's, it's just by design because you need the places that you want to access. It can't take too long or be too complicated to impede your work. So. I'd still say that, yeah, humans are the problem. I guess it's that um, lovely balance between ease of use and complexity to prevent yeah. vulnerability. And, uh, you know, it's a great example of, of the two of those coming together. Um, just this is a random question. I don't know sure. if you maybe know the answer to this, but um, are a lot of the things that you, you look at um, sort of replicated overseas. So, so I'm over in London in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know of anything that's sort of the same? issues that they're facing over here that they are there and is there any correspondence between the two organizations in terms of government organizations etc um I, I can tell you i worked with um on several operations with the british and the dutch militaries um i can't i can't speak too much for their physical security i know they got some goofy looking handcuffs when i worked with the dutch before they're uh, much bigger than our american handcuffs uh, but they're just as susceptible to being hacked um, I haven't spent too much time in England or Great Great Britain or whatever you're gonna want to title that as, and I can't really I can't really speak too much to it. Besides, just the lock picking you hear, you have your Euro cylinders and your American locks, and they're they're similar but different. Um, so if you're gonna have like a let's say a lock pick kit, like a go to kit or an everyday carry tool set and you're going to be traveling overseas, I would, I would say don't be surprised if you're really confused when you get there and you're locked out of your hotel room or your apartment that you're renting and you, your pick set not only doesn't fit, but you're not really sure where to put it. I think we struggle with legislation in terms of carrying things like um, 
I think there's, uh, I might be wrong on this, but I think there's, there's a law that prevents carrying lockpick tools in the UK for going equipped um, and things like that. So it becomes very difficult even to practice for things here. Well, if I ever go there, I'll make sure to do tons of research first. <laughs> uh, there's several out of the 50 states in the US. I think there's only one, and I think it's, I think it's Tennessee where lockpicks, period, are illegal to have. No matter what your intent is, just possession of them is is a crime. I know Cooper was talking about the, the yeah. problems that he's facing over there, no? Cooper? Yeah, Tennessee is one of the states where possession um, is completely illegal. Uh, outside of law enforcement or government, you cannot own, possess, carry, distribute, what have you. So that makes me very concerned as being a guy that teaches and often enough the easiest route for me to, if I were going to DerbyCon in Louisville, Kentucky, would be to drive right through Tennessee, but now it makes me go, okay, bypass. Because yeah. I don't want to be the guy that's pulled over and for not uh, missing a stop sign or speeding on accident, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, it's like, I'm on my way to go teach a class in physical security, and they're like, oh, what do you have in the back? Oh, nothing. <laughs> you know, and then they do a do a search, and all of a sudden, I've got more than a hundred um, lockpicks kits in my trunk, and they're like, "Hey, you're possess uh, illegal items with intent to distribute, blah blah blah." I don't want to face that. Yeah. Uh, uh, another thing is, uh, uh, like Nevada happens to be one of the states that it's kind of iffy as far as being having or having in possession or owning lock picks and Nevada happens to be where Las Vegas is the mm -hmm. world's largest hacking conference where a lot of people go to uh, compete in lock picking and physical security as well as social engineering. And, you know, I think it was like something around 35 to 45,000 attendees total at DEF CON last year. That's a lot of lock picks uh, that are floating around. <laughs> a lot of guys with bypass tools, a lot of kids that may or may not have any real experience in what it means to be in that kind of situation. So that makes me very concerned, especially when I was reviewing those laws recently and just like, okay, maybe I don't want to help with help tool out at the lock pick village in the future. It might be a little bit of a concern. I might want to ship in stuff and ship it out instead of driving in or flying in you know, with all, all the equipment that I would need. I can give you a real cool uh, piece of insider information here from, from my background. I can tell you that of all the military and law enforcement officers I've worked with in my 11 plus year career, less than 0.1% of them have any experience with lock picking or restraint escapes. Not, like not less than a percent, less than a portion of a percent have any clue that, that that's like a thing or a skill set or there's tools for that or and a, a lot of people I worked with that I occasionally taught small lessons to here and there one of the first responses I always got was wow you can do that I'm like yeah yeah you can break out of handcuffs you you should probably know about that yeah I I ran into that myself when I was teaching a lockpick village at B-Sides Rio Grande Valley just to you know like a month, month, couple months ago. And it seemed to me to be quite hilarious that you know, I had FBI field agents there, I had local PD and customs uh, agents there, all very much so um, intent on, hey, can I buy a kit? Can you, know, can you teach me how to use it kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Do you offer classes and stuff like that? And I was like, well, I don't, but I can work on uh, getting stuff together and possibly teach y'all at a later time, um, but if you want, buy a kit, sit down, and I can teach you the basics right now, and especially, you know, told them about how quick I can get out of handcuffs, and um, like uh, the customs guy was like freaking out, he, he was like, how about zip ties, and I was like, do you have any on you, and he's like, of course I do, and uh, he put it on me, and I popped out, and you know, less than a few seconds, both on cuffs and zip ties, it really was funny to see their reaction uh, much similar to a 12 year old kid that I got to pop his first lock uh, ever at the same event. So it 
don't know, to me, as a teacher, that seeing that light come on in their eyes and seeing the enjoyment of knowledge, I don't, I, I'm, I'm hoping you are enjoying that as much as I do. Oh, that's my favorite part. But um, my first commercial course that I taught, um, I taught for over a decade the different blocks of my instruction to people that I either served with in the military or I taught some foreign military people. Um, but my first course that I opened up for, hey, if you pay me money, you're my student, let's do it. Um, my first course I taught from within Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Um, I wasn't in the detainee prison. I was just on stationed on the base there. And eight of the guys that I worked with signed up and they all paid up and I took all my tools and, and, uh, it was a kind of open enrollment. So it wasn't that we all started at the same time. So every time I got a new student and they popped that first lock open, I was like, yes, it did a little fist pump in the air. And I'm like, God, oh, it makes me so happy. And so there were guys doing their patrols and on their downtime, they'd sit there with a padlock and either paper clips or the picks that they, that I gave them. And you hear a little, you hear a little click and they pop one open and yeah, I got, Hey man, I've been working on this one all day. So yeah, that nothing makes me happier. So here you um, talk about, the fact that a lot of the um, the people you've worked with don't know even that it's a thing to break mm -hmm. locks and stuff um, is the total opposite to the way you started this interview in, in the way that saying that that's how you got into the game. Almost. Yeah. Um, do, do you see that. massive limitations with that in terms of like a lot of the people, as you say, didn't have the experience that you had. And, and obviously that's become quite a big thing for you. Um. Yeah, help me answer a little better. Can you rephrase that a little bit? Sure, yeah. Like, um, do you think they're missing out on something quite imperative? Do I think they're missing out on something? Do I think you mean the other other people that are professionals in their fields? Yeah, because they haven't had the the same experience that you had when you when you started. Yeah, I think they're definitely missing out. And um, I'll kind of answer two questions here. I'll, I'll kind of make up my own, and I'll answer yours. So. Uh, one is I get a little bit of heat for teaching what I teach occasionally. Um, I know Brian Black from ITS Tactical also took some heat for teaching about restraint and escapes on the internet. So I believe that a lot of people I work with in the security field, whether it's military, law enforcement, or otherwhere, or otherwise, um, yeah, they're definitely lacking. But here's probably the, the biggest answer, the biggest reason they're lacking is the agencies that you work for and the companies that are selling you these tools neither of them are telling you about the limitations of your tools. And I think it's a very, very easy fix. And like you, like we, all three of us have talked about, there's, you know, seven and eight year olds out there that are breaking out of handcuffs. So how is it that the bulk majority of police officers don't know that handcuffs can be broken out of or how, or how to prevent it? So, yeah, I think they're definitely missing out. Um, and the great thing about the course I teach is I like to tell people that in one in a one-day course that's just eight hours with me, you, you can go from zero experience all the way past beginner and well into your intermediate skill level where you can self-diagnose and then you have the ability to take this skill set up as high as you like. Um, so it doesn't take a lot of investment. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of time. Um, if, a, if a seven or eight-year-old can do it after a few minutes of teaching, I don't know why our the people that are in charge of security for our, our communities and our country. I don't know why they're not aware of it. So, yeah, to piggyback on you saying they're missing out, I, that's my personal feeling uh, as well, because wouldn't it be a truth that if the more you know about how bad your locks are, how bad your handcuffs are, how bad zip ties are, how about locks on your mm -hmm. front door knowing the limitations wouldn't that make you safer and better at your job or just living life really because knowing the knowing the vulnerabilities that exist you can then be able to plan better be able to live safer much like um in digitally understanding how much of your life is out there on the internet uh knowing about vpn uh knowing simple safeguards like when you go out into public turn off your wi-fi turn on your turn off your bluetooth when you get out of the car and you're not using nav or uh, something actively using that service because otherwise it's just one more way that you're 
have left your digital or physical fly down in the mm -hmm. world to see your goods. Absolutely. And I'm happy that I'm, like I said, I'm happy I'm taking my first step into understanding the computer side of things because um, I'm primarily physical. Here's one of the, one of my favorite too. Um, so I also tell people the very first step when you're making entry, um, a lot of my content um, very specifically would cater to someone in a first responder position, like a, a police officer or an EMT or a paramedic. Um, because we often go to houses and we often have to get into houses, um, whether it's a violent confrontation and you have to make your way in or whether it's there to help somebody, which often when I picked locks into homes, it was often to check on someone that was sick or someone that, you know, you can see them kind of somewhere in the house, but they're not answering the door, like lay on the floor, maybe like a heart attack or a medical thing. So is it right? Is it, you know, is it reasonable that you kick their front door in to help them? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're a deep sleeper. I've had that happen before too. Um, so usually we'll pick locks to get in if we have to, if we have the authority to. And it's the right moral thing to do as well. I always teach people because you legally can doesn't mean you morally should. So one of my favorite things is step one in every entry is the door unlocked. Because a lot of people will they get so excited and they're like, I have this cool new tool and this cool new skill set. Let me pick that lock. Oh, I just picked it into the locked position. Great. Um, I'm also guilty of that on one call. Um, it was really embarrassing, but at least I overcame it and I figured it out. Uh, the second step is, is there a key nearby? And this is called the two-step rule. Whether you write down a computer password or you write down the pin code to a gate or whether you have a spare key hidden nearby, it's often within two steps of where you're currently at with that obstacle. Um, if it's for a filing cabinet, it's probably in one of the drawers next to it in the desk. Um, so when I did, uh, my target assessment phase of making entry somewhere, depending on how much time I have to get into the home or the business or the gate or whatever it is, depending on how much time I have, if I have the time to do a walk around, one of the first things I do is check every window and every door handle because sometimes they're left open and you don't know it. Um, and the second part of that walk around is looking for a spare key. So everyone has watched TV and everyone's watched the movies and everyone thinks it can't happen to me. You know, no one would find my hidden key underneath the frog shaped flower pot by my front door. So uh, a lot of people are guilty of that as well. Um, but if there's something hidden, it's often within two steps of that, that door or that lock. So I teach people that as well. So it's not just, uh, I think what I provide that a lot of people don't is it's not just the skill set of lift the pins, put the tension on. Okay. It's open. I teach you how to do a target assessment and how to understand applying this skill set in the field, which to me, if you can't do that, there's no point in taking the class. So I want people to be able to utilize this skill uh, with as much knowledge and experience as possible. Um, so what do you think is the, the currently the biggest struggle corporations and perhaps governments are having today in keeping their customers or citizens safe um, in sort of like a new digital world? And it doesn't have to be digital, I guess. It could, it could be um, more of a physical access. What's the biggest challenge that they face? Uh, I think I kind of, I'll use my older answer from this interview. So I think handcuffs are probably one of the worst. Um, and we'll tie in digital a little bit too. If you don't know how to break out of handcuffs, you can use your smartphone that you know 90% of us have in our pockets all day long. And you can watch you know, a child teach you how to break out of handcuffs. So that's a very serious security issue. Um, and there's no reason the handcuffs have to be universal like that. Um, I know there are some models out there that are a little bit more proprietary. Um, and there's no reason you can't use those. And budget is not an excuse. And training is not an excuse. And the ability to remove them is not an excuse. Uh, it's very common for people to get handcuffs stuck on their body and have to get cut off. So changing the keyway... I mean, sometimes people would say, oh, well, uh, if we lose a key, then, okay, well, everyone at your agency should have the same key, but at least it should be different than other agencies, and maybe we need to relook at that design. So I think the biggest problem, especially in the, in the field that I come from, which is kind of a police and a law enforcement background, is the tools that you're going to use to prevent someone from hurting someone else or themselves, those tools aren't secure. And like I said earlier, your agencies are not informing you correctly. And the people that sell you these tools that are aware of the flaws, they don't disclose those either. But the good news is you can also use the digital world 
to talk to people like me and you know, do some research and say, well, what is the fix? If you're going to use shitty handcuffs, I'm sorry, can I say that on your show? I didn't. I'm, just, I'm used to being a little more uncensored. If you're going to use handcuffs that aren't very good, um, what's the fix? What do you do? Well, it's really easy. Once you put someone in, strain, in restraints, all you have to do is remember and remind yourself any restraint is temporary at best. And once you restrain somebody, they belong to you. So you have to constantly monitor them and constantly recheck your restraints. That's really, really easy to do. It's really easy to understand. It doesn't cost any money to teach someone that. So um, you can't just walk into a scene and handcuff someone and sit them down on the floor and walk away and expect them to be there when you get back. So what I liked to impart to people that I worked with, I'm no longer in that field, but I still mentor quite a few people that are in the law enforcement, in the military fields. I tell them, once you handcuff them, you own them. Keep your eyes on them and then keep going back and checking on them and then do a thorough search. And then I say, hey, try and hide some keys on your body. Try and hide a shim somewhere on your body. Try and hide some paracord somewhere on your body to break out of flex cuffs with. And then now you know when you're searching someone what to look for and the spots to check. So it's a really easy fix. So digital is a problem, but it's also a solution. It's just like the, just like the spoon to make you eat healthy or eat like crap. Well, now going further, can you describe like a, a typical engagement for the training you provide? And also, sure. uh, as far as services you provide, do you have you gotten into physical pen testing where uh, a client, whether it be a company or um, you know small business or corporation on enterprise level, ask you to come in and do physical uh, assessment? on their facility, uh, testing the fence, you might say? Um, that is in the plans for the future. I just sent out a resume um, last week. Someone contacted me and wants me to do some work. Um, obviously, I'm not going to talk too much about it on the air, but I did talk to someone who kind of has an open door for me, so I'm going to start doing some traveling in the state of Florida um, and doing evaluations for a group for their hard sites, for their, for their buildings. Um, you said talk about a typical engagement for my class. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I offer a one or a two day course. I prefer to teach the two day course. Um, tentatively, my prices for the one day, eight hour course is about 250 bucks per student. And the three day course is 350 per student. Um, because of the travel and because I'm just a one man show and I need to, I, I give my students a ton of value in physical products before I even, I mean, before the class even starts, I give you a couple of different lock picks some covert handcuff keys. Uh, I give you flex cuffs that you're going to break out of. Um, I provide a bunch of things like that that cost money that I have to make orders for. So I need a minimum number of students signed up and usually depending on the distance of the class um, and the housing, it's about a minimum of six students. Um, often people that host a course, um, I taught some people with, from some law enforcement agencies and some military people, um, and they were kind enough to put me up for the night in one of their spare bedrooms. So that saves me a ton of money on my, uh, my hotel fees. Um, so, and it's great cause they also get some extra training from me and some extra face time and we get to kind of go deeper on a couple topics and I have all my tools with me. So we usually, it extends the training time, which means we can start early. We can, I can stay late and, uh, and we can even train more if I arrive a day early or leave a day late. We can e even do more training, which I love to do that for my, my students and my hosts. Um, so usually it's about a six-person minimum. It's either 250 or 350 per student. It's a one- or two-day course. And like I said, it's broken up into two parts. Half of it is things like lockpicking and vehicle entries and gate codes and social engineering. And the other half of it is restraint escapes. And... A normal, normal progression would be the very first thing you do when you sit down on my course is I say, all right, welcome, pick up this lock and pick up those tools. Here's what we're going to do. And we, 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 don't, we don't move forward until everyone pops that lock open the first time. And there's a very specific reason I do that. I've attended a few other professional courses for lock picking. And you, you sit in a class and you watch a PowerPoint and you get bored and the stuff's sitting there right in front of you, but you're not supposed to touch it. And there's really no guy to practice. And and so 
not working for the government or anyone else, I, I'm able to take control of that. And I say, welcome to the course. Here's your value. Right now, you're going to start picking. Go. And I say, you can continue picking all the way through this course. And there's at no point do you have to put your stuff down and, you know, listen to a, a lecture. So you would you get to the course. You see your little packet of your goodies sitting in front of you. You pick your first lock open, which usually is a master number three, just a really, really, really common keyed lock. And I break everything down into blocks. So we talk about padlocks. We talk about number-coded padlocks. Uh, we talk about door locks. And then we bypass the door from the front, from the back, sometimes under or over, depending on the door or through the middle for double doors. Uh, we move into automobiles. So we always have at least one car at the courses I teach because my car will be there. And whatever car other people, whatever cars other people bring, if they want, they can use those to break, excuse me, to gain access to as well. Um, and then we spend the rest of the day doing uh, restraint escapes. And part of that, if we're able to, depending on the training site, is we'll put people in either duct tape or handcuffs or flex cuffs or combinations of those. And we'll put them in the trunk of a car and we'll drive safely in a little circle on a driveway or, you know, I had a rural, a rural place recently that I was training at. So we drove up and down their rural driveway and had people try and break out of the trunk from their handcuffs and restraints. Um, and you don't have to do that if you don't want to. So if, if I, I had a class with, uh, I think, 10 students and one of the 10 was like, uh-uh, don't handcuff me. I'm like, you know what? You're, a, <laughs> you're more than welcome to watch and learn and take notes. I'm like, none of us are going to secretly walk up and handcuff you. Don't worry about it. And so some people take the trunk option. Some people don't. And some people just like to learn from watching. Um, but if you want to, I offer that to my students. Um, and I do quite a bit of Q&A at the end. I try and answer as many questions during the course as I can. Um, off the wall stuff, I'm happy to answer if I can. If not, I try and point you in the right direction. Um, and that is, a, that is a normal eight or 16 hour course from me. And I try and provide you with as much value as possible. And my equations right now um, are solid where you get much more value than what you pay for the course. And it's multiple fold, like two or three or four fold at least. Yeah, I, I must say you are really, really pricing yourself way too low. <laughs> oh. I'm they're gonna go up, I, I can guarantee that. Um, but I'm still, I just got out of the military in uh, December. So it's been maybe six months. So I'm really starting to ramp up now. So the most important thing for me is to build the audience. And I love doing the podcast. Um, and this is one of my big steps is going out to other people's podcasts and just telling people what I'm about. So tentatively, those are the prices. And that's a good reason to remind people to get in while you can, while the price is still this low, because I, I promise you there's, there's no marketing here. This is the truth. I provide way more value than the cost of the course. And I'm happy to do it because it's my passion. And if you're listening now, I said, uh, take the class before he raises it. Because on average, if he's teaching at a conference, in the InfoSec community, the uh, hacker conference on average, uh, going to uh, a class that's multiple days, you're paying $1,000 per head per day uh, for that. And often enough, you'll have a two or four day course. That's a lot of money. Or in some of the higher end courses, you've got like a four or five day course, and you're paying six to $10,000 for mm -hmm. that time and that's like a sans class that's like top of the line they give you a lot of equipment and you know hacker toys whatever that go with it but you know on average anything to where you're even bringing your own equipment uh to learn learn from the guy that's teaching you you're on average paying a thousand dollars per person per day and he's not providing snacks he's not providing you anything he's just providing you the knowledge and for, you know, two days, 350 bucks. Um, I would call that, you know, way, 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 you know, bargain basement, but just basically based on what I'm seeing on the website and just listening for you. Um, he's just giving it away for free. Yeah. So fire sale is now don't wait, take his class now. And yes, <laughs> this is not a plug, but it could be a plug. And yeah, it's it's not marketing. It's, it's the truth. I, I give as much value as I can. Uh, I'm not paid to say it. I'm just telling you the truth. And as far as uh, cursing on the show, watch your fucking language. And if you need to, 
express yourself <laughs> however you need to. I really don't give a shit. That's cool. Um, awesome. Thank you. So, uh, you know, if you're used to cussing, I used to be a firefighter. You know, I've heard more F words in a sentence uh, from a uh, former Marine uh, working as a firefighter than I ever have in my life. So right now you're sounding like a preacher on Sunday in the pulpit. Awesome. Well, I didn't want to start out too hot and heavy. I, uh, I didn't know the rule. I should ask the rules up front, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you always got to find out, you know, what, uh, what your OPSEC is for the time. But uh, my only other comment is, or question is, would be is other than you should charge more uh, one so that you can do more that way. You know, if you're charging more, you know, more towards industry norm that allows you to expand your operation and be able to provide even more value for, you know, whichever agency or just regular civilian price as well. Cause you know, regular Joe Schmo can't afford near as much as government uh, budgets can afford. So if nothing else, when you, when you get, get a corporation or get, uh, law enforcement or government military charge them the normal price. But if you've, you know, got just security minded individuals, then yeah, giving it away, builds your reputation, but also just makes it better. Makes you're, you're making the atmosphere better. So kudos for you for, you know, making it cheap, but you know, don't, don't give it away. <laughs> you're providing a service which you should be paid correctly for. Um, I kind of lost my question and all that, but um, I guess my, with, with all the talking about picking, I guess the mm -hmm. main thing I'm curious about as a practitioner, um, learning from other practitioners, what do you love most handmade tools versus uh, manufactured tools? And if you do like handmade tools, is there, uh, a certain um, individual or company you like going to, or do you provide your own tools? Um, to little geek uh, step in there is every Jedi should be able to build his own lightsaber. Well, shouldn't every lock picker know enough about his own tools to create his own lock picks? And that might be uh, an extra day of your class. And the future is learning how not only to use them, but to make them too. Yeah, I do have some uh, different blocks of instruction I'm, I'm preparing for courses. Uh, one of those, I think I might do a, a key duplication course that's just all about accessing keys and making your own keys and cutting them from different products and uh, things like that. So I have some other stuff in the hopper that will be coming out soon. Um, I don't have a ton of experience with handmade tools. Um, I do teach in every course um, how to make just paperclip lock picks that are very easy and simple to use. But I like to use those because they're field expedient, because they don't look like lock picks, because they're um, customizable, because you can make them quickly. Um, and if you can use something that small and inert to break security, what else is possible? So yeah, I do teach some paperclip stuff. I haven't made my own yet. That is something I, I have on the, the bulletin board that I plan on doing. Um, I'm going to be making some purchases soon for some handmade stuff so I can get back to you on that one. Um, should I, should we be able to make our own tools? Uh, yeah, I think it's great, especially for the people that are, uh, you know, end of the world minded, like the zombies are coming. Sure. Well, how you, how are you going to get into this place if you can't go online and order a, a high end lockpick tool or if yours breaks, right? And it's the end of the world and zombies are making puppy kitten babies. Um, I can tell you a really cool answer to that, to that. That's a little different. One is your makeshift bypasses are really cool. So what you can do with a milk jug and a shoelace and a coat hanger, um, is really impressive if you know how to use it. So I do teach people in my courses how to make and find and use field expedient tools. Um, and I actually bring a lot of those tools with me. So I bring coat hangers and I bring, uh, some laminated sheets of paper and, uh, if milk jugs are around, we cut open some milk jugs. We use soda cans to break open uh, padlocks. So that is kind of a version of making your own tool. Um, 
who do I recommend? I send people all the time to sparrowslockpicks.com. I don't like every one of their products, and I'm sure if they've seen any of my content, they know that. I don't like every one of their products, but a lot of their products, I think, are very high quality and work very well. Um, so I always send people to them. Uh, Searpick.com is where I get some of my other tools. Um, I like their their Bogotas. Um, what else? I get a lot of my stuff generically just from lockpicks.com. Um, and another point of value for the course is you get to try all of the tools that I own and that I bring with me so that you know where not to spend your money, which is also a huge piece of value because a lot of people will try a set and they'll say, yeah, I don't really like this. It just feels sticky or it doesn't feel right or the handle's too small. So that's another point of value. Um, so, all right, that was, there were a couple questions in there. How was that? Did we hit some of them? Definitely. Um, and since you mentioned sparrows, yeah, I, I like, a lot of their stuff, not everything, uh, just the same. Um, my question uh, on picks in general is, have you ever um, tried Peterson's? Their, their handles I like the most as far as manufactured picks, um, just in general. Um, though, as far as uh, I can definitely say, I prefer when it comes down to just grips, um, I prefer my own um, because they're, tailored very specifically to how I pick and um, what I most desire. Um, as far as steel goes, though, I'm, uh, I'm kind of torn uh, as far as uh, so many people you know, swear by stainless. Some say high carbon's okay too. And I think that's more of just a, a preference because, you know, the, especially when you're dealing with like Euro locks, yeah. The thinner, the more flexible uh, without breaking a pick uh, is always a better way to go. So I personally really like the inserts from uh, windshield wipers the best. They, yeah. they look like stainless steel. I don't really know exactly you know, what, what kind of steel it is myself. But to me, it's uh, thin enough, flexible enough, and yet strong enough to get the job done. Uh, much unlike... Um, like. Uh, street sweeper blades um, that you now pop off. Those seem to be very fragile to me. So they make more, uh, more of a better um, tension wrench really. Yeah. I don't have too much experience with the customizable picks, but I, I will be in the future and I have one Peterson tool. It's just a, um, it's a bypass driver for the American series padlocks. Uh -huh. um, Sparrows has been hit or miss with their bypass drivers. And I've checked the internet and the forums are all crazy about it. It's, I mean, it's, it's a mishmash. It's up in the air. Uh, some of their bypass drivers work right out of the box and some, some just never work. Um, I have a Peterson bypass driver and the handle is great. You're right. I really do like that Peterson handle. Um, I'll probably be buying some more of their tools here shortly. I have a Southward pick set too. Their handles are a little better than the everyday carry versions. Uh, the core content of my class talks about your everyday carry. So what you can keep in your wallet and your keychain and use often. So a lot mm -hmm. of our training is done with those, but I also do provide them. If they're with maybe a ch more challenging lock, I'll say, hey, or try these picks with a fucking real handle on it. That might help a little bit. So uh, I dabble in that, and I am glad to learn more on it in the future and come back to you with an update. Sounds good. Cool. So um, I have a question as well, um, mm -hmm. a bit maybe back on the philosophical sense. but. Um, sure. If you were to take everything that you're doing and everything you've done um, with, with all the stuff, all the great stuff you're doing with the entry and escape training, mm -hmm. um, what is the, the biggest impact that you want to leave on, on the security community? I.e., like, what would you like to be remembered for? Or alternatively, the first thing that pops up when someone Googles your name? Kind of like my, my website, it's probably a two-part mission statement there. Um, the first thing I want people to take from my content or my podcast or my training course um, for any of it, I want people to leave their experience with me with much more value than when they showed up. And that's even, even for like just a short podcast. So if I say, hey, let me give you a review of this thing. Um, at the end of my episodes, I always say, I hope you found value in today's show because that was our intent. So whether it's a course or a podcast or a YouTube video, I hope that you learn something and I can in some way bring value to your life. Um, the second part 
what would I want people to know when they Google me? A, my whole adult life was, I mean, even as a child too, I grew up in a law enforcement and military family. My whole adult life has been working for the government and being in military and law enforcement. And I care very deeply for people that are still in those roles, um, but I'm not in that role anymore. But I also care just as deeply for people that aren't in those roles. And I think that's important. Um, so I hope that people, when they see me and they see my content and my stance on things, I very much promote individual liberty and I very much want people to be happy and I want them to live their lives on their own terms. And I promote the non-aggression principle, but I also promote being prepared to defend yourself. Um, and I just, I want people to ask questions if they're big questions or bold questions. And I want people to live their lives and be happy. And I, I like doing that from a former government standpoint because I know how much some of those things affect people's lives. And I have a lot of friends that they, they struggle in the military. They struggle in law enforcement. They don't want to do it, but they feel like they don't have another option. So I'm doing that option right now. I left to pursue this, to build my website and build my course and my podcast. Um, and I couldn't be happier. So I want other people to be happy too. All right. So with all, with this mission in mind, Mm -hmm. How are people able to keep up to date with your work, with your projects, with new class offerings? And, you know, if you're going to be at any events near them that, to where they can come check it out. Right now I'm scheduling a, uh, one or maybe two classes at a time. And you can get that on the entry and escape tab on my homepage. Um, but to, the number one answer would be the website's home base. So just uncensored tactical.com. Um, that will have postings for the classes. Uh, every podcast that we produce will be available on iTunes and Google, uh, Google music. And, um, if there's not a source that it's on, we can get that on there for you. If, um, if that's something that the people are wanting, uh, I'm trying to get on Spotify here. I think I should be on there by the end of the week. Um, but every pop, every podcast that we publish goes to the webpage first. Also every YouTube video that we publish also gets posted on the webpage. So uh, our Discord is the best way to interact with us on a day-to-day, -day, morning, noon, and night um, uh, kind of timeline. Uh, our Discord channel is called Insurgency Knitting Circle, and you need a link to join that. And there is one on the contact tab on the website. So again, website's home base. Anything you want from me, that's the best place to start. You can also fill out a contact form on the website on the tab that says contact, and that'll send an email right to my inbox. Um, I'm not the best with it, but I try and be better than other people. So there's sometimes a day will go by where I don't check my work email for the website. Uh, but usually as soon as I read it, I'll respond. Even if it's a, Hey, I'm thinking about it. Let me get, let me get back to you. Um, so the email is pretty, pretty reliable as well. And if you want to host a course, um, that's the best way to get a horse, a course done, get some of your buddies together and you, and you can all decide you're going to do it. So I usually need at least six people. So if you and five of your buddies want to take a course, I highly recommend it. I'll travel to you. I will make it an enjoyable experience. Um, and uh, you just let me know where and when and we'll, we'll make it happen and go to the website for that and just email me and say you want to host a course. Sounds like a great way indeed. Just say, you know, I want to host a course and scrape the funds together. Then you got, you know, the fire sale deals in my opinion. Um, is there any uh, final qu questions, comments from you know, either you, Cursor, or you, Pat? Cursor, Cursor, you got anything for me? Um, apart from the fact that um, I'm trying to now think about how I'm going to get over there to do one of your courses. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty cool. Before I bring my tools over to you. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a bit of a trek from here, obviously. But uh, you should definitely, I mean, you know, I know we keep saying it, but definitely check out the, the community of InfoSec because you would be amazed of the amount of crossover, even taking out the whole, um, you know, digital side of things. You'd be so amazed if you, if you look at some of the stuff that goes on, it, this, this fits right in there. Um, so definitely check that out. I'd love to see in, in the next, you know, year or so you at cons as a standard thing would be great. I would love to do it. That's definitely on my radar. And some of my audience have been kind of nudging me to do that as well. I wrote it down like 10 times. Just do now it, man. <laughs> yeah, it makes me wish I had uh, extra funds in the kitty to be like, 
hey, make it to Vegas uh, between the 6th and the 13th, and uh, we'll, we'll, ha we'll have your class there and then stick around for uh, the cons. Because uh, be awesome. already going to have six people there, including Cursor. Just uh, not not this year. Maybe next year. Hire you to teach while you know while we're while we're up there. But you know, I want to thank you for coming on and, and agreeing to talk with us today. Um, if you want to learn more about this journey we take weekly, uh, take a look at DangerousMinds.io. And all of us want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us as we further explore the tech, the tools, and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of hackers, developers, and lock supporters today. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments. You're welcome to find us at DangerousMinds.io, our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com forward slash Dangerous Minds Podcast. And perhaps we may one day talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring or developing. Until next time, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead. Those courses look cool, man. I'm just like, if it was closer. I still can't believe how cheap you're selling them. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Is. I'm aware of the prices that other people are charging. Believe me, I've, I've did my research and I've attended other people's courses. I just, for me, I'm happy to get people in the door right now. Yeah. And the audience, I don't know if it's big enough yet, so I'm trying to grow the audience and then. And you only got one person teaching, so yeah, you can still be cheap. And if you're giving people putting you up too, that's yeah. a huge, huge dent in your overhead. Yep. Is, is there no one sort of doing this this stuff in the actual like government for example there's no government course very 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 little wow that amazes me so much that's what private contractors are for it's kind of like um having an uh, a security team for a business but no one does any research on what the vulnerabilities of anything is right <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it, it was too much man I, I had a mental struggle every day of the job especially in law enforcement it was probably the worst I just, I didn't, they were so worried about accreditation and policy and this and that. And the policy wasn't there to help me. And the accreditation wasn't there to help me. And the accreditation wasn't there to help the people. And the accreditation stopped us from doing the job the right way. And I mean, every day was just, I had enough. I liked it. And I, I really worked for a really good agency and law enforcement. Um, I just, it wasn't for me. Fair enough. But it was a good chance to kind of sharpen up my skills before I went into the civilian market. <laughs>